listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Welcome to the Real Talk SLP podcast show. I'm Felice Clark, the Dabbling Speechy. This is a podcast for speech pathologists who are in the trenches and they want to hear from other SLPs that are in the trenches on how to do this job well. Um, They want practical strategies. They want to hear from other SLPs and their other perspectives. So I love to share information, what's working for myself with my own students, but also have people on the podcast share about what's working well for them. And this week, I have my good friend Christine from Live Love Speech coming on to talk about how she was using cooking in her preschool push-in lessons. Now, if you're new to following me, I am a big fan of doing collaborative services and collaborating with other disciplines or the classroom staff or with parents. And getting into the classroom more. And so when she was telling me that she does cooking in her preschool uh, self-contained classrooms, I was very, very intrigued. I'm like, tell me more, please. Um, Christine is one of my in real life friends. I love her to death. She's she's a great speech pathologist. And I wanted to have her come on to share how you could do cooking in your therapy rooms. And this, you know, this is going to be geared towards, you know, how she's doing this in preschool classrooms. But I know that there are a lot of SLPs in the middle school and high school settings that could incorporate cooking into their life skill classes. And in fact, when I was doing um, middle school, I was pushing into classrooms, life skill classrooms, and we didn't necessarily always do cooking, but we did plan events where we were incorporating cooking, like the kids made um, a meal for the staff. And so I was a part of my, I planned my therapy around that idea. And so I wasn't necessarily cooking with the kids, but I was, you know, when we had our sessions, if it was either if I was pulling those kids out or if I was doing a lesson in the classroom, I was part of, you know, that process of teaching them how to greet the staff, how to serve food, what's clean, you know, good hygiene, all that kind of stuff. So you can definitely adapt a lot of what we talk about in this interview to older kids as well. So, and it's, and it's interesting, I think, um, I have, I've used some of Christine's cooking lessons and it's a unique way to increase engagement and to shake things up a little bit when you've been in a rut with certain, with certain students who you're just like, I've tried everything and they are not, they're not sitting, they're not into the activities. You know, I've tried cooking with some of the students and, and it can be a real game changer for communication, for building a relationship and and recognizing like, oh, that speech lady or speech guy, (laughs) he brings food every time he comes and we get to eat it. (laughs) So I think you're going to really love Christine's interview if you work with preschool students or if you're looking to start a collaborative push-in model and you're not really sure where to start, um, you could do a cooking lesson once a month. And and Christine goes into how to do this um, 
with your students. So before we head over to that interview, since we're talking about food and cooking, I wanted to tell you all about a protein bar that I have found and I really, really love. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely have, I'm on the go. I'm an on the go type of person. Um, even when I work in the schools, there's days where I just want to have a quick lunch. I want to know that I'm going to get my protein in and I got paperwork I want to get done because I want to leave when the bell rings. And so I, and I also have a sweet tooth. So if you have not heard of Built Bars, I've been eating them for the past couple of months and they're really, really yummy. They taste like candy bars, but they only have five grams of sugar. Some of them have three or four grams, but but they have tons of different flavors and there's at least 17 grams, 18 grams of protein, and they're only 130 to 180 calories. They've been great for me because I've been trying to shift some of my eating habits ever since COVID hit, you know? I mean, I started enjoying food like (laughs) a lot. So I'm just trying to balance out my sweet tooth a little bit and and not allow myself to get those cravings. You know when you get cravings and you're going, oh my gosh, if I don't eat something now, I'm going to just start binge eating. And so these have really helped with that, that concept while I'm trying to transition off of just you know, the cookies, the chips. So if you're interested in trying them out, I have a referral link that I will put in the show notes um, where you can get 25% off your first box and and try them out in 25% off coupon. So if you're interested, just check out the show notes for that link and get a healthy snack that'll keep you full so that you can stay focused at work and then come home and not want to like binge out and eat a bunch of potato chips. <laughs> Does that sound relatable at all? I don't know about you guys, but um, at the end of a day, if I've had a long therapy day, then I have to write a report. That's when my biggest cravings are kicking in, man. All right, let's head on over to our interview with Christine. <laughs> All right. So I have Christine here on the podcast and welcome, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I know. It's so fun to talk to you. I miss seeing you at ASHA. I know. I miss it so much. I miss seeing a lot of people's faces these days. I know. (laughs) Usually we get to see each other sometimes once a year and I feel like I know COVID. Hopefully we'll be back to normal soon and we can start... um, doing some of those conventions again together. Yes. Fingers crossed. So, you know, so Christine is from Live Love Speech. I don't know if you all follow her on Instagram, but she is primarily, she primarily works with preschool kids and she was the rock star cooking push in, um, (laughs) SLP that I'd always follow to see, okay, what is she going to do next in her speech, like in her, in her lessons? Cause you would go into the classroom. They never came to your speech room to do cooking lessons, right? Correct. I would do push in into the three different preschool rooms. Yeah. And so I, you all know, if you've been following me for a while, I love push in therapy. So I thought this was so cool to see 
cooking and and I was always intrigued like okay what how is she doing goals how is she working on language and speech and so I decided to invite her on to talk about cooking lessons and how you can do, use those as a push in service or as a therapy lesson plan and before we jump into that topic I would love it if you would just share a little bit about your background Christine so people you know who don't know you can know what settings you worked in. Okay. Um, Well, thank you again for having me on. I'm super excited. Um, Yeah. So I've been SLP for, I guess, about 12 or 13 years now. I feel like that's aging me big time. Um, I have a seven-year-old son named Landon. He's in first grade. Um, I just got married the end of September 2019. Um, to Paul, so that's my husband, after being together for almost 10 years. So it was long overdue to get married. So we are a little family. We just recently got a little puppy who's nine weeks old. Her name is Kalua. So that is my little family. Um, we live in New Jersey. And for the last, I want to say, nine to 10 years, I was in a school district. Um, again, I worked with mainly elementary. For the first couple of years, then it switched to just preschool. So I was the only full day preschool SLP. There were students with autism, three and four years old. I kind of been a little all over the place. I did also live in Florida for a year um, when I was 22. So that was pre-Landon and Paul. Um, and I worked with adults. I worked in an aphasia center. So a little experience there. And then, yeah, and I was homesick. So I moved back home. So I'm that was only lasted a year. Um, yeah. And then basically was jumped right into the public school districts, which I really, really love because just worked out nicely with, you know, having the weekends off and you get holidays off and things like that, especially then once I had Landon, it was, you know, pretty perfect. I took off a year to stay home. I went right back to my same district again, um, same position. And yeah, I can talk about my love for cooking. I can go on and on and on and on. But um, basically how I got started with pushing into the classrooms is it was already lined up in the preschool students IEPs that they were going to have one push in lesson a week and the rest were pull out, obviously, to like the speech room. And for the push in lessons, I didn't really have anything to go off of. So in the beginning, I'm like, all right, I guess I'll just bring like a book and maybe like a little crap, but not knowing really how any of that's going to go. And again, when you have three and four-year-olds, you know, there is obviously a teacher, there were two paras, and then myself, there were usually five to six kids in the classrooms. Um, so, you know, a lot of adults, a lot of hands-on for the amount of kids that were in the classes. But yeah, I mean, so I would go in and it's great when you have attention. However, that doesn't always happen. So Sometimes we last three minutes and they were off or somebody was getting up or somebody was having, you know, a little moment and they didn't want to listen to the story or they didn't want to participate in the hands-on craft or coloring or whatever we were doing. So I was like, okay, I need to figure out something that's going to keep, you know, keep these kids' attention and, but also be able to obviously target their goals. I was like, what about food? You know, always were working for food reinforcers, you know, Cheerios and just little snacks, things like that. I'm like, why don't I just use food as the push-in lesson? So I kind of started just making my own little 
you know, everything had to be visuals. I knew that they're everything, calendar time, whether everything is visual related. So I just started kind of making my own little visuals. Okay, we're going to make, um, a, you know, a dirt cup today, which is like one of my favorite desserts. I love that. It's so easy too. So just little pictures, you know, of Oreos and the cup and the gummy worms and the pudding and things like that. I would go get, you know, the materials and do it in all three preschool classes. And the first time I ever did it, I don't remember which recipe I used. However, I do know that it was over a half an hour. So that was a bonus. It was only supposed to be a half an hour. The kids were so engaged and loved it so much that it went like over the time. And that like, it's kind of hard to make that happen that way. So yeah, so after that, I was like, "That this is it. Like, we are going to use food and do basically no cook. You know, obviously, I'm not bringing in ovens and stoves and things like that. The most we, I would bring in would be a microwave if you needed to melt something or heat something up. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's a lot to line up to get it to go the way I wanted to. And obviously, we all know things don't always go as planned. Um, but over the last 10 years or so, I really tried to structure and know what I need to do beforehand, know to talk to the teacher and the parent. Everybody needs to be on board. It needs to be, you know, a collaborative um, process to make it successful for sure. Totally. So a couple of questions. How many kids are in your classes? And I know you said they're preschool, but do they did were they a specific type of classroom? Like was it a mild moderate classroom? Was it more geared towards um autistic children and their needs in the like what kinds of classrooms were you serving? Yes. So in um in my school that I was in, there were so there were actually four preschool classes. The one preschool class was an integrated class. Um, so, you know, if you're regular ed and a few special education students, um, which one of my coworkers um, worked with them and they were only there for two and a half hours. So two and a half hours in the morning and then two and a half hours in the afternoon. On the opposite end of the building where I was, um, I had the three full day, they are called preschool autism classes. That's what the district calls them. So yes, they either had to have an autism diagnosis to be placed in those full day rooms, um, or, you know, I had a student with Down syndrome, some sort of other disability, you know, and a deficit, obviously, in speech and language to be put into those classes because they were there, you know, even they're just like three and four years old, and they were there from nine until 315. So it's a very long, long day for, um, you know, full day, I mean, for little ones to be in school for that long. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they are preschool um, autism classes. And they're at the most they could have in one classroom was seven, which we would always start in the beginning of the year with maybe three or four. Within a month, we got more referrals. Um, I would say halfway through the year, all the classes always had seven kids. They were (laughs) always maxed out. Well, that's, I mean, that's to me, that's small because, well, I guess, and I work with K1 and one. It is, it is small because I've heard stories. To me, I mean, that's a dream, (laughs) Um, but, but it is preschool kids. And so they're not always, I always call it student ready where they can sit in a chair and. um, That is the biggest, (laughs) that's the biggest issue with preschool. And it's, you can't start a lesson or do anything until they're they're attending in some capacity because if not, what are you going to get out of it? Totally. So yeah, especially when they come to kindergarten and first grade, that's like where I would push in a lot. Even though 
they may struggle with it. I always strive to try to work on sitting in your chair. So we all, all the paras Mm -hmm. and the teachers and I knew like, okay, if a kid needs to take a break, we kind of knew their plans and we knew what to do, but we always strived like, okay, they're going to sit in their chair for five minutes. And then by the time I'm done with the book, yep, um, we're going to do a brain break song or whatever it was. But that, so that for me was something that I wanted to focus on, but in preschool, it totally is trickier and I could see, why cooking would work. (laughs) So tricky. And that's true. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I've had a lot of people ask me questions and obviously even we've had the OT um, in my old district, her and I used to work a lot together and she would come in and we do cooking um, or vice versa. I would go to her room and we would try to do some cooking with like one or two kids. Um, But the biggest thing is, and people are always like, well, I want to, you know, I want to do cooking with my students. So where do I start? Where I'm like, Okay, well, the first things first is you're never going to dive right into the cooking. First, you're going to start with, you know, the attending skills. So do that. Start really small. And I feel like don't have huge expectations. If it's a 10-minute lesson for cooking, and but those 10 minutes were all the kids were engaged, you targeted one or two goals. To me, that's a super, super successful session because, again, there's so little. You can't really... Expecting a kid to sit down for a half an hour at that age, especially if they do have autism, is that is not easy. Well, and then then you can also incorporate. I'm sure you guys do this. You bake, you make it, and then don't you eat it? Yep. That's <laughs> so. That, your, then you can target goals during that time as well. Absolutely, and that is the other really difficult thing because to get them to wait and wait. <laughs> had so many kids reach across the table. Nope, not yet. We can't eat it yet, you know? So I think over time though, I mean, I have, I'm thinking back and a lot of my students, I remember the beginning just grabbing everything or they're flipping a bowl over and then there goes all your ingredients and this and that. But over time, you know, they learn like, okay, we get to make this through, I get to eat it when we're done. So I constantly feel like I would be reinforcing that throughout the session. Maybe every minute I'm like, and don't forget, we're going to eat this in a couple minutes when we're done. <laughs> so just constantly reminding them, like, there is, I promise there's a big reward at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would say, um, I think why some SLPs really struggle with the idea of push-in is they're one, either freaked out to be a leader and to stand in front of the class and take kind of over the classroom and tell, you know, because you kind of are, colla- you're like, I, I want to go back to your collaborative comment that you made in a little bit, but like, you're kind of telling the teachers what to do, where to be in some ways, or you're giving them a role. Yes. Um, so that's kind of scary for some people. And then, you know, another thing that's scary about push in services is that you don't, you kind of have a lesson plan. You're kind of ha- know what you're going to do, but you really don't know what's going to happen. But that happens in our small group sessions too. Absolutely. But I don't know what it is about pushing because people are like, they're overwhelmed. They, they don't want to yeah. go in there. And then you are going to hit probably some bigger roadblocks than you would in small groups. Because like you said, with the bowl falling over, Nobody, <laughs> it's the same thing with having children. If you have children, you're like, you had no idea that your little two-year-old could reach so high and grab something off the counter. You thought it was safe. Like that's the kind of stuff that happens. And then as you're going, okay, keep the bowl, 
way far away. Yep. <laughs> and as you do these lessons, you start to realize your systems for setting things up so that it works like clockwork and then the kids start to do it. So, you know, I think you should expect um, some chaos the first Absolutely. couple of times. <laughs> and so, you know, to lean into that, what did you do to start organizing yourself and setting up these cooking push-in activities? And then what did you do to prep the staff or get the buy-in with the staff to be on board with it? Okay. So one thing, one thing I wanted to just talk about real quickly is the money aspect of it because cooking can be expensive. So that was a big thing in getting set up. Um, I was very fortunate in my district that there was a grant committee um, that we could apply for grants. I did it for four years. So the first two years I did it, it was just out of pocket. Then I applied for the grants, which I got for four years, which I'm very thankful for. Um, you know, and that was for my weekly supplies, the food and the cups and the plates and straws and just all the things that you need. So that was first thing is, you know, it can become costly to do it. Um, so it's something if people are even interested, you just do it once a month. Then I had one of my old coworkers, she used to do it with her autism students that were in third and fourth grade, but she just used to do like a fun Friday. So she used to do it once a month. Obviously, they still get to do the cooking, still get to do the push in. The cost isn't, you know, as great. Um, but there's also wait, like, I love the dollar store so much. I'm there all the time. The dollar store has a ton of things, marshmallows and graham crackers and cookies, plate, like all those things you need. So you really can do, um, I believe you can do cooking without having to like shell out a ton of money. Um, so that's like the first thing is, you know, kind of figuring out your, what recipes I want to do. I always do, um, like theme based or, you know, based on the season. So like in the spring, you know, we will do like, um, you know, the dirt cup. I talked about that before just cause it has the worms in it. And obviously you can pair that with like gardening and things like that. Um, so that I feel like is how you kind of have to get started, or at least that's what I do. Um, and then I worked with the same preschool teachers for several years. So after our first year, we really had a good vibe and we kind of, you know, we would just chat, even we would see each other over lunch or in the hallway, we'd chat for five minutes. Um, but in the very beginning, it was kind of important for me to go in obviously like introduce myself. I'm going to be pushing into your, you know, it's your classroom. Um, but obviously I'm going to be running lessons. So like you were saying, it is a little, it's intimidating to be in front of a room. Um, but yeah, so in the beginning going in and just kind of sitting down and with each teacher, that's what I did and say, okay, we're going to do a 30 minute lesson. You know, um, I need somebody to, you know, maybe be in charge of the visuals. So if you hear me say, you know, bowl, and I'm not pointing at it, can somebody make sure they either, you know, showing the students the visual, like kind of like, I mean, you have to work together. That's the biggest thing. You know, if you have a student, um, another thing was if you have a student in, in it, which I always had a student with some sort of behaviors, you know, then just making sure one of the paras, like, okay, I would like you to sit, you know, behind so-and-so that way, they're not grabbing the bowl or knocking off the table, things like that. Um, so I kind of think you have to set up your expectations. Um, and also just be like respectful though. Like I, you know, I, at first I just, I was a little like timid. I'm like, I'm coming into your classroom. You're the teacher. You're with these kids all day long. I don't want to overstep or anything like that. 
But all the teachers I worked with were always so wonderful. They're like, listen, you're not overstepping. This is amazing. This is helping me out. <laughs> like That would be a good half an hour where they're still sitting there and helping me, but like they kind of get to take a little bit of a break um, and let me do my thing. Yeah. I mean, collaboration is obviously key. Yeah. Pointing to visuals. I would have teachers or powers do intervene when there's behaviors um, helping with materials and, and ingredients. There's times where we've made um, applesauce, like blender applesauce, and that's you know a lot of peeling. Got to peel all the apples. I don't want to just be sitting there peeling apples and and lose everybody's attention. So maybe I'd have the teacher or one of the parents like, okay, can you do this while I move on to the next step? But yeah, I mean, all those things take time, and I feel like you really do have to have communication with any teacher, any staff member that you're working with. Because if you go in blindly and they are like, okay, what are you doing today? What do you need me to do? You're going to lose the kid's attention. Like it's not probably going to go as smoothly. So I really do think um, having an open communication and what your expectations are is really, really important. Yes, I totally agree. Um, It's one of those things where you're like building a foundation so that long term, you're, it's going to be a breeze. So it is going to take some front loading up front to really get a plan with the teacher. And it doesn't have to be like this, okay, after school for an hour, we're going to plan. It could be as simple right. as at lunchtime, mm-hmm. chatting, this is what I'm thinking. Um, I always would go into like in the morning was always great. Like I know teachers are usually prepping and they're doing things. Um, but I my my room connected with one of the preschool rooms and then the next one was next to that one and then the third one. So it was very easy, right? I was so close to them. We literally saw each other all day. Plus I'm taking their kids all day long into my room. So um but in the morning I would just pop in and I'm like I don't need much like literally a couple minutes and we could just I'm going to do this this week. This is going to be our um recipe. I don't, you know, if I needed something from them, then we would chat about it and if not, I was like, you know, if there's any questions or what concern, like we would just chat about it briefly and then we would be, we would be good for the week. Yeah. That's yeah. And it doesn't take, once you get a flow with someone, it doesn't take that much time. And then I do know when it, when it comes to materials for cooking, you can even ask your boss, can I get an Amazon gift card for the year? A hundred bucks. Or if you have families that maybe can donate or want to donate, I think sometimes we think that parents don't want to, but I found too, I had a few parents that in the special day classrooms, they kind of wanted to, they wanted parties They you know, cause their kids, we would try yep. to mainstream, you know, our kids, but they also wanted to feel like the room mom and, or dad. And so you could also ask the families if you can plan ahead of time, like, Hey, we're going to do this fun thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah. And even if it's not the food ingredients, even if it's just the, you know, the paper products, like, oh, okay, could you donate, you know, you know, a hundred paper plates. I mean, that's going to last you a long time, depending on how many kids you work with, obviously. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I think again, that sometimes it, people are a little hesitant, like, Oh, I don't want to ask them for But a lot of parents, I mean, I have done that and parents are like so receptive and I've had a lot of parents bring in way more than I ask. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, you know, it's really nice. Um, But yeah, they want their kids to have fun too. I mean, so it's benefiting their children. I mean, I think it's a win-win. Totally. Um, I know for myself, when I have done push-in, it for the elementary, there have been years where 
it, they like it or they like the activity. But I've noticed because some of my teachers had really like one year, my teacher had 14 kids. She had herself and I think three or four aides. And then, so when I was in there, there was at least four or five people. So we were definitely able to do cooking or I know cause some of your recipes are Play-Doh. Um, we were able to do those mm-hmm. things, but sometimes they would, she would say like, no, it was almost too overwhelming. I think the idea of a mess and yeah. And that's a lot of kids too. Yeah. It's Depending a lot on how many adults you have in the room. Yeah. That's a lot. So what we had to do was we either like when we did the applesauce uh, ornaments, mm-hmm the teacher and I would model it and then they, the kids got to make their, their ornament, but we had to do it in turns and I was, nobody got to touch anything. And then when it came to Play-Doh making, we would just have different stations and the kids would be at their station. But I found that some of my teachers didn't want to do it every week. They liked the idea of once a month or once a quarter Or even every other week, if you know, yeah, if that allowed. I know we've I've had teachers too that just like we just want to do it around um, like a holiday or like right before a break. So like if you know you're going to go on spring break or something that last Friday, they would do like an hour of you know cooking and incorporate it into like maybe a you know classroom party or something. So yeah, I mean I think it's really just depends on the teacher. And that's the thing too, it, again, like they're, it's really, you know, their classroom. So if they're not like, they don't want you coming in that often, I would maybe say, save it for your individual or group sessions when you're going to do pull out if it's possible. Um, but yeah, the it's funny you bring up Play-Doh too. So I do have a lot of like Play-Doh recipes where I really love, and I know kids love Play-Doh. It's so fun. You can add different like essential oils. You could add different, you know, um, mint extract, like just different things, glitter, whatever to make it fun. But yeah, I think those were the days my kids would, they got so used to the cooking. So I would come in and be like, Oh, they'd be like, what are we making today? Or we're going to make a Play-Doh. And then every, just see everybody's face. Like we can't eat that. I'm like, I know, (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm sorry about that. Next week we'll be back to food. Oh, I you'd think they would be all into it because they like to uh, touch stuff. I think they got so you. I mean, some of my preschool kids I would have for two and a half years. Um, so they would come in and they would just you know get so used to the food and oh you know see me and then that they would associate me with food and eating and then I'd be like oh no not today they're not going to eat the play doh and it was just like <laughs> oh bummer or you're going they are going to eat the play doh and it's probably they are. yes <laughs> yes I always had everything it was like. Play-Doh is, has, you know, it's flour, water, oil. I think that's about it. Yeah. So if honestly, if they eat it, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's not going to taste good, but it'll be okay. There's always <laughs> one kid that you're like, how did you just, I was watching you the whole time and you look away for five seconds and then they And it's in it. your mouth. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I was always like, oh, okay. I don't want to <laughs> touch that Play-Doh anymore. <laughs> you're like, we're, gonna, we're not going to send that one home with you. That one's going to go in the garbage. <laughs> Um, okay. So before we wrap up, I would love it if you could share some ideas. So if SLPs are doing teletherapy or virtual, like how could they adapt cooking in teletherapy using some, cause, um, I didn't, I don't know if we said this, but Christine has two visual recipe books and she also has, um, some free, there's a few free ones in her store. Yep. And then don't you have a science one too? There is, there's a simple science experiments, which is 
um, it's similar to the um, visual recipe books and packs that I have. Obviously, it's just science, but it has all the same, you know, step by step with the visuals and the comprehension questions. Um, and I put into in the cooking ones, there are um, goals that you can use like in IEPs that relate to cooking too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could share how they could adapt using a visual recipe in teletherapy, that would be awesome. Cause I'm sure some people are wondering. Yeah, definitely. Um, so first thing, if you're doing teletherapy and you want to continue to do like the real, you know, cooking obviously with real ingredients and tools, um, I think it's possible if you are doing one-on-one, And you can obviously, you know what you're going to make and you can give a list of the simple ingredients to a parent or guardian ahead of time. There's no reason why you can't be making it and your student or students, depending if you're seeing one or two at a time, um, are making at the same time because you can still, you could have your visual recipe or you don't have to, you could have it up on the screen though. So they could see you and the visuals and then you're doing it. Obviously it's not going to be exactly the same, um, but it still works. And then they still benefit because whatever you just made, they get to eat at home when your session is done. Um, So I definitely think it's possible. I know sometimes that can get tricky with, well, how are they, you know, or maybe low income families, you know, things like that. Um, So it's just really it just depends, I guess, on your caseload or your client that you're working with. Um, so that's one way is to obviously just continue doing it the way you'd normally do it in person. You just, you know, it's not the same when you're looking at a, you know, computer screen, but again, it's food, it's motivating. So um, the other thing is uh, some of my visual recipes I turned into boom decks. I had a lot, a lot of people, like when we first started going, virtual and remote. Um, I've had a lot of people say, I'm just so disappointed because cooking is like one thing I really look forward to every week. And now it's like gone. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like it has to be gone. I'm like, that's my favorite thing in the world. So (laughs) I started to turn some of my visual recipes into boom decks. Um, I have a couple of free ones of those as well in my TPT store. So yeah, that's another way you could be just doing the boom deck with the students virtually, which obviously is not the same. It's not real food. However, you could do that and send the recipe home to the parent. They could make that afterwards. So that's their little like carryover. Like, oh, you got to do it, you know, with Miss So-and-so. And now later on, we'll make it at home. Or have the boom deck and be making it the real recipe at the same time. Like I have a freebie for peanut butter and jelly. So obviously if there's no allergies involved, um, you know, you could be doing the boom deck. And then go ahead and make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich afterwards or, you know, during with the students. So I think it's possible. I do think you have to be a little creative and everything's not going to always go smoothly, but that's okay because it's food. So worse comes to worse. Something doesn't turn out that great. Just eat it <laughs> <laughs> and everyone will be happy. No one's going to remember, Oh, that looked terrible. No, because you're going to eat it. So yes, I, it's all good. I was <laughs> looking at your um, freebie peanut butter and jelly sandwich boom deck. And what's <laughs> awesome about what we, what I think we can shift our mindset to as SLPs, you know, there's a lot of research out there that says to learn new vocabulary for language impaired students, they need to be engaged with the word 36 times. So you may be priming the pump and, and giving them the practice they need for doing and talking about a skill like making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You, they may be doing it at home with their parents, but you are teaching the vocabulary and the sentence structure that they could use to actually say, Hey, 
hey, mom, I need the peanut butter now. Let's get us, let's spread it on the, you know, the bread. And yes, and the actions, like, you know, if you're cutting something, peeling, just all of those vocabulary words. And also, two different ingredients. There's ingredients that I've used before that I didn't think would be, I can't think of one off the top of my head, of course, but. I remember showing kids and asking, oh, what's this? And it's just amazing, especially with really little ones, how they would have like no idea. So you kind of get the opportunity too to expose kids to things that they might not normally be exposed to. And that's especially important for picky eaters. Oh, yeah. So I've had a lot of parents say to me before, um, which like makes my heart melt when they would be like, I could never get my child to eat more than, you know, three things. And here you are, you know, a couple months in and they've tried like 10 different foods. I'm like, just got to make it fun. It's like it literally I, I love it's my favorite thing. I love doing the cooking because you can target so many goals. It, I mean, I love it so much. Yes, I love this whole idea of cooking in the classroom because you're also engaging the students they're trying new foods, they're motivated by doing these activities. And then you're also simultaneously training and modeling the teacher staff on how to elicit novel utterances, where you don't, we don't always have time to be doing that extra training. And now we get to do it while you're pushing in. Exactly. And it's, yeah, it is really nice. I mean, I think that was like, it's funny, I would get, <laughs> my teachers would be like, are we doing, what are we making today? That was like, end up being like the question of the week. Like, what are we making this week? And even the paras would like find me in my room and be like, hey, just wondering if you need anything for this. I'm like, you're really excited, aren't you? Like they would get really excited too, <laughs> because it's just fun. And then you get to see, you once you see the kids, if you see, I mean, I've had students that are, you know, nonverbal and then they're now saying five, six, seven words. Maybe they might be bowl and spoon, but those are all functional things. And if they learned it from cooking, that makes me, I feel like then my job is done. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so thanks, Christine, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. This was, this was inspiring because I love pushing and I love uh, hearing how other SLPs are doing it. And hopefully we'll be able to start doing more in-person pushing again, I'm yes. hoping. I'm hoping. Me too. Fingers uh, crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to find Christine, you can find her um, at Live Love Speech on Instagram and Facebook. And then on Teachers Pay Teachers, it's under just search Christine Lamb, right? If, yes. You can type in Live Love Speech, but it, the store name is under her name. Yes. And people are always confused by that. That is my maiden name, <laughs> Lamb. My- my new last name is Duraki and I'm not changing my TPT store. So yeah, but find me on Instagram and I can happy to answer any questions or anything people have. So, and she's the queen of the, um, Osmo. Oh no. I feel like we love you. love the Osmo. We love the Osmo. I That's a whole other Osmo. thing. We could talk about yeah. that on another day. <laughs> Yes. So follow Christine on Instagram. She's always sharing tips on how to do her boom cards, doing visual recipes and lots of other engaging activities. And just remember SLPs, be the SLP that every kid wants to see and stay inspired. I will see you next week. Thanks, Felice. Uh